Welcome to the Eventualities Podcast, interesting conversations with the people behind our favourite regional festivals and events. We dive into the memorable experiences they create, the unexpected challenges they've overcome and what they've learned along the way. Phil Wishart is a close friend of the Regional Events Conference. He has been in attendance every year as a delegate and presenter, as well as the MC for the last three years. Phil has a great passion for regional events, having worked in the sport, events and tourism sectors over the past 15 years. Initially working in venue and competition management, Phil moved into event management roles before taking on the regional event development coordinator role at Destination New South Wales. With the ethos that you can't sell it if you haven't experienced it, Phil has developed strong relationships with event organisers, councils and regional stakeholders through attendance at over 50 regional events in his previous and current roles with the goal of enhancing events and promoting visitor experiences across the state. Phil is currently Head of Marketing and Communications at the Office of Sport. Prior to this, he was the Principal Advisor, Major Sports Events at the Office of Sport, where Phil's team worked with state and national sporting organisations, local government and venue owners to deliver on the New South Wales Government's 10 World Cups in 10 Years initiative and identify opportunities to maximise the legacy of hosting major sporting events in New South Wales. Welcome, Phil. Hi, Belinda. It's nice to see you, albeit in the virtual environment. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us over Zoom today for the Eventualities podcast. So we are mixing it up a bit. You're not associated directly with one particular festival and event. You've had so much experience across such a wide industry. So what I'd love to talk to you today about is the impact of sporting events in regional New South Wales, and we'll touch on both your professional and personal experience with this. So let's get underway. Can you start by letting us know a little bit about how you got into events? I think for me personally, I grew a passion for events through my experience as a player growing up. I grew up in basketball, played representative, wasn't very good and took to refereeing. And it was a sport that took me to so many regional locations. So growing up on the Central Coast, I played in a local competition. We went to Newcastle and Maitland. We had country junior championships every long weekend in June. So we'd go away as a team. I then did a bit of sailing throughout high school and again got to go away to regional locations. And my wife always jokes going on to referee national championships and state championships. You can always tell where Phil's been if he knows where the basketball stadium is in that town because sometimes that's all I saw. But... I really just loved uh, getting out in those regional environments and, yeah, then that harnessed the passion into volunteering, doing internships in basketball and national championships and uh, on to where I am today, having been involved with a whole range of events and now looking at World Cups and those sorts of things. That's fantastic. And I should mention you're really, you're a young guy. (laughs) You're a young chap. And for someone your age, you are so community-minded. And something I do want to touch on, you've actually also got a Paul Harris Fellowship. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I was involved in Rotary for a few years coming out of university through the Rotary Youth Leadership Program and then the Model United Nations Assembly, delivering that. And the Rotary E-Club I was involved with, I was the first one in Australia and I was really fortunate to be awarded with that, which is a really prestigious award in Rotary in recognition of service. So it was fantastic. And I think I'm actually jumping on a uh, Rotary Zoom in a couple of weeks to talk about my work. So great to still have that connection. 
Oh, that's excellent and well done. Honestly, you probably wouldn't meet a guy who's, yeah, so community-minded and so passionate about the things, you know, that you're involved with. So we've been so fortunate to have you involved with the events conference over the last few years. Can you talk to us about some of the more memorable regional event experiences you have had? Now, keeping in mind you have, yeah, had huge experience, so I'm interested in what you've got to say on this. Oh, my goodness, it's so hard to... Pick a favourite, so I won't do that. But I was lucky in my role at Destination New South Wales. I got to go to, I think I worked out it was 40, to, 40 regional events in 22 months. So it was essentially every fortnight we were out at events like the Denny Master Parks, Elvis, up in Coffs Harbour for a whole range of sporting events. And then I think some of the best experiences were some of those regional music festivals. I think, mean, you know, Denny Parks, Van Fest, I mean, its first couple of years were really good. It's you know, great to see people out on the road trip and I drove to a couple of those events and it was just great to get out on the road and enjoy myself, stop at little towns along the way, you know, see people having the best time. Ironman was a really cool one. I didn't get to stay for the whole thing. I actually flew straight from there to the regional events conference, I think, in the first year in Wagga. So I did the morning but got to do a really good tour of the town and the course and just to see everyone out on the street supporting is great. They're probably some of my favourites. Um, I remember I did my first surfing lesson up in Coffs in one morning, I was waiting for a plane in the afternoon after National Touch League, and that sort of sparked my interest in surfing and then got to go to a whole range of surfing events up and down the coastline too. So I love the people that I've had a chance to meet throughout. And, yeah, it's been a shame we haven't been able to get out to many this year, to be honest, because I've bought a little camper van and I was keen to get on the road and get to some more events in my non-work capacity. And are you, in your role at the moment, will, or when it, I guess, gets back, maybe let's look at 2021, will you be able to get out on the road as much as you maybe have in your previous roles? Uh, in the marketing and comms role, probably not so much. We don't do as much travel. We've got our sport and recreation centres across the state, so really looking forward to getting out to those venues and centres, but probably less so in the event space. So I guess one of the joys of that is I'm looking forward to doing some of that on my own time. But also really keen to get out to some sport and rec centres too. I remember I went to Lake Keeper in primary school, but haven't had a chance to go back there since. Uh, so looking forward to getting back out there, Lake Ainsworth, down to Jindabyne in the snow season. So, yeah, it'd be good to go and see some of our staff in that capacity. Sounds great. So you have had a lot of involvement over the last few years, especially with your role with the Office of Sport of getting out into the regions and I guess seeing the impact that sporting events have on those regional communities. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. I think I've been very lucky in both my Office of Sport role but also my role at Destination New South Wales. We've invested in a whole range of sporting events in regional locations and I think we often think that there's a great impact economically and for the towns and cities when it's a big event coming to town an NRL game or a city country or exhibition games and that sort of things but where I see the real value is in those state and national championships because you're bringing groups together of you know anywhere between a few hundred to thousands of people into town they're there for a week they really get to be involved in the local community, spend time, go to the restaurants, meet the people. And sometimes they're coming there year on year. And I think that's where the real value is. We can so easily see that if you bring 500 people together, they're staying there seven nights, there's going to be really good economic uh, impact in the town, you know, upwards of hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars, which you may not get for those one-day events. And I think I really notice when I go to a town, whether I was flying in or driving into town at the motel or whether I was picking up a car, 
when the person at the motel or the airport goes, oh, so you're here for such and such event without me prompting as to why I was there. And that's where, you know, the towns really embrace it. And then they, sometimes they've got their own stories. Oh, you know, we've been looking after this team for the last five years. They come here every year, you know, we've known the team managers and the players. And I love those stories. And I think that's so valuable for a community. So it's one, one of the big positive benefits that it has. The communities often bind together, more so than when you're in Sydney. As an event in Sydney can be a drop in the ocean with so many on. Uh, but in regional New South Wales, that can be the pinnacle of that town and the highlight and it makes all the news clippings every day and the town gets behind it and that's what I love about it. Oh, absolutely. I know here in Wagga they've been successful in holding the state touch championships, I think the Southern District, because they've had to split the state up because there's so many people and every February yeah. we have around 10,000 people come in to town for, you know, maybe three to f- or f- maybe four to five days. And the impact that has on Wagga in February, which is generally a quieter month as people have gone back to school and work after the, the summer holidays is very, it's immense. And likewise, being able to take our young boys Always up to watch the calibre of those kids play. You know, they're really inspired, as are we as adults, at what these young kids can do. But, you know, it's certainly got beyond the economic impacts, I guess, just the things it can do for the community as well. And I guess then, you know, maybe the investment in infrastructure that local councils or, you know, sporting groups will happily look at because they can see that the benefit. Yeah, absolutely. I think for councils, Maintaining sports grounds and developing facilities that are of a standard to those types of events is a really significant investment when you're comparing it to road upgrades for the local communities or facilities that communities use, you know, day in, day out. But I think when councils and regions and venues get it right is where they make that investment, but they also have a long-term commitment for events. So they've got a pipeline of events or they've got an ongoing contract. That's where they start to really realise that benefit. You know, you've got places like Post Harbour that are developing their sports hub that have hosted the National Touch League for so many years now. You've got so many regional sporting hubs popping up. I know Wagga are doing some redevelopment at the moment. Port Macquarie have done some upgrades recently. Those sorts of areas, they're benefiting because they've got continued event content coming in, so it's worthwhile for their investment. If they're spending a few million dollars or tens of millions of dollars on upgrades, they know in the long term they're going to make that money back in their local economy and they're going to see their businesses flourish. Absolutely. Look, you've just touched on something I was going to ask you, some examples of some cities, regional cities doing that well, and you've done that. I'd love for you to talk a bit more on Coffs Harbour if you can, because I think what they've been doing up there is absolutely incredible. We had Nikki from Coffs Harbour at the first regional events conference in Wagga, and I actually hope I'll get her on this podcast maybe down the track. But could you talk a little bit about, yeah, Coffs Harbour and what they've been doing, especially over the last few years, I think? Yeah, sure. Coffs Harbour has the seat of X International Stadium. That is their main stadium. It's got a grandstand. It's a big facility that can host first-class games and matches. But outside of that, they've got a whole precinct with multiple fields and they've been hosting a whole range of community events up to elite events. It's the has been the service park of the rally in the past. They had Elton John there earlier this year, the National Touch League. They've got the Tag Championships. And they've built a precinct that I guess is so versatile that it can cater for your ticketed, seated events, but it can cater for your multi-purpose or mass participation events as well. I think the council's really seen the benefit in choosing to upgrade that facility. They've gone from having one grandstand now to a multi-grandstand, multi-changing facility on the main oval, which enables them to then host better elite content. They had the Sixers game there last year against Adelaide. I was up there for that. It was sold out. It was just a fantastic atmosphere. And having a chat to people 
it wasn't peak time for them in summer. People were obviously on the coastline, but there was people that had travelled from across northwest and New England areas to come across just for the game. There were some people that had extended their stay. So they're already realising the benefits. I know the Elton John was two nights for them up there, and that was a fantastic experience. Probably one of the best outdoor concerts in terms of sound quality and experience that I've been to. But, you know, people travel for that. They stayed nights and cost people that had never been there before. So they're really realising that benefit. And I know that they're continuing on with stage two of that project and just building that facility out, as well as investing in some of the other facilities around their region as well, not just around the stadium. That's fantastic. Thank you. And as I said, yeah, we'll try and get someone maybe from Coffs Harbour on the podcast down the track. Can you explain how important event attraction is for local grassroots sporting clubs? Yeah, definitely. I think events for local sporting clubs is great because it showcases their sport in their local community. It also is really good in terms of engaging their volunteers and their clubs. It gives them something to work towards. I know in my experience with Gosford City Basketball, They've hosted national championships for many years, you know, since I've been in high school and, you know, even now they've hosted some recently. And it brings the community and the association and that volunteer base together. I think it's really important that you've got to do that in a partnership with local government and, you know, state government in some cases as well. So you've got to work with your partners and you've got to engage your business communities as well. But isn't it great when you've got the chance to showcase the sport? It gives, from a talent pathways point of view, putting my office's sport hat on, the chance for people that are emerging athletes or on that pathway to high performance to compete in that high performance or pre-elite environment in their local area makes them feel more comfortable as well. You know, studies show that they'll genuinely perform better if they're uh, performing in their home environment with friends and family around rather than having to travel interstate or, you know, in some cases overseas on those pathways as well to compete. So, yeah, it's a really important thing. And I think the more we see these facilities grow and develop in the regional New South Wales, the better it is for them our athletes, but also for those communities. Oh, for sure. You're so right. I know here, again, in Wagga, but at the start of the year, I think just before the COVID lockdown, we had a Richmond GWS game. So it was like a grand final rematch as part of the um, preseason for the AFL. And again, seeing the young kids, the Oz kickers out there and being able to see that calibre of sport was so amazing. And, you know, I guess it's pretty exciting for the kids now to see Richmond going into their grand final this coming weekend. So it was great, number one, to be able to have a sporting event to go and see live this year and what seems that everything else has been cancelled. But you're right to have the calibre and, you know, to see the trickle down effect to all people associated with those clubs is is really fantastic. Yeah, and I think we find with those events, like your pre-season events or your events where you've taken your professional clubs into those local communities, the players really embrace that and they spend time with the fans. You know, that's nothing off their back to, you know, spend an hour signing autographs after the game and often they spend a lot more than that. But for that one child that is impacted by that and it makes them want to pick up a cricket back or kick a Sharon or something like that, that's a massive impact on them. And I know there's so many people out there that, have been inspired by meeting athletes. You know, they may not have known them before they came to town. Richmond, for example, you know, they may not have known them. They may know the Giants players, but they've now become fans of the team, of the player, of the sport, and they've got into themselves. And at the end of the day, it's great to see more people out playing sport as a result of these big events coming to town. Absolutely. And, yeah, fingers crossed 2021 brings some more of that (laughs) to regional areas. Can you talk a little bit about so your role prior to the one you're in now and about the 10 World Cups in 10 years initiative because, it, yeah, it's really interesting and I'd love to hear your take on it. 
Yeah, I think it's um, a case of being at the right place at the right time in my role. The New South Wales government back in July 2018 announced that it was going to bid for 10 World Cups in 10 years. I think over the past 20 years, looking back to the Olympics, we've had a really good pipeline of events. You know, we've had the Olympics and Paralympic Games in 2000, Rugby World Cups, Invictus Games, World Masters Games, Rugby League World Cups, Cricket World Cups. And it was a really good opportunity to, to set a stake in the ground of what we were going to go after. And some of those events were events that are unique to New South Wales, like the Road World Cycling Championships going to Wollongong, which will have a massive benefit, 300,000 people coming to town. And others were those multi-jurisdictional, or in the case of the FIFA Women's World Cup, uh, cross-nation bids as well. So we knew that there was interest in bidding for them. So we set out to bid for those 10 events. I'm really pleased to say so far that we've won eight of those events. So I think we're just waiting on a couple where the bidding process either hasn't completed yet or hasn't started. And we've also been able to deliver a couple. So in 2019, we had the Rugby League Nines World Cup at Bankwest Stadium, which had just recently opened. Uh, we had the inaugural ATP Cup at Ken Rosal Arena, which was upgraded for the tournament. A great tournament bringing together the men's best tennis players in the world with a final between Serbia and Spain, Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. Incredible atmosphere. The place was just absolutely pumping 10,000 people crazy Serbian Spanish fans, so passionate for their country, so loud. I remember my ears were ringing for weeks just from going through the pool games. And then oh, we had the Women's T20 World Cup, which was just incredible and so lucky that we got it in before the COVID hit. I think they literally were there the day before it got declared as a pandemic by the World Health Organization. So seeing that rise of women's sport and then seeing the MCG nearly sold out and 86,000 people, it was just incredible. The opening ground at Showground Stadium, I remember it was Australia, India, 13,000 odd people and there was just so many Indian fans out to see a women's cricket match, which we just haven't seen before anywhere around the world. Aside from the one-day World Cup the year before, it's just great to see that momentum. And unfortunately, then we came to a bit of a grinding halt event-wise, but we were lucky enough to win some bids along the way, the FIFA Women's Basketball Cup World Cup and the FIFA Women's Football World Cup, which is coming in 2023. So whilst we haven't been delivering events, we've definitely been behind the scenes getting some of those organisations in place and starting to plan for those fantastic events coming up over the next few years. Absolutely. And I think it's great to see some of those events in particular that we may you know, associate with being held in, you know, the United States or over in Europe, that they're now coming to Australia because I can't imagine, you know, maybe even five years ago that that would even be considered because of, you know, I guess all the logistics and other reasons behind that. So it's great to see some of those amazing events come out to our country. Also with that, with that initiative, some of those events were also being held in regional areas, weren't they? Yeah, that's correct. So the World Cross Country Championship slated to be held in Bathurst. Unfortunately, that was due to be held in March 2021. So just working through the logistics of that with World Athletics as to when that may be postponed to. The UCI Road World Championship is going to Wollongong. But I guess just looking back at the cross country, we often think about Bathurst as a motorsport destination, but it is so much more than that. And what better way to showcase that by having running that got such strong running clubs and communities out there, Bathurst, Orange, and a whole range of those regional towns. So, And it is in such close proximity to Sydney, people can drive over there for the weekend, spend time in town. So that'll be a really fantastic event. The UCI Road World Championships going to Wollongong, I don't think that event work, would work very well in a major capital city just because of the road closures and things. But Wollongong has got a, such a proud history of supporting events and 
and you know there will be some road closures and things that will affect the community but i think they'll really get behind it and they'll enjoy it and embrace it like they do with the ms gong ride every year i think that's great and that event's been such a long previously um, another regional city in australia but aside from that it does tend to stick in europe you know most years or go to the us the world cross country never been to australia before so it's fantastic and you know whilst it's challenging for the athletes i think it also gives them some perspective of how far our athletes travel for international competition year in year out so and they get to come and have a unique experience that they probably don't get in their normal european winter or summer just the way that the courses are laid out so you know really exciting to see those and i think for the events that are being held in sydney some of your events like the atp cup and those events we're also looking at how we can spread that message regionally. So looking at things like regional road shows and legacy funds as well. So, you know, someone in the back of Burke or in Wagga Wagga or up on the border can still benefit their community club benefits from a legacy funding program where it invests in programs or infrastructure in their local communities whilst they might not have the event in their town. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, yeah, great scope there. So what are some of the biggest challenges about holding an event regionally and i'm happy for you to talk on you know like an international event like the um cross country that's going to bathurst or something smaller i just love your thoughts on that and then we're going to get to the positives okay yeah i think some of the challenges are the the travel and the proximity i think it becomes very expensive once you're getting everyone to get on a short flight to go to regional new south wales and availability of flights when you've got so many people going to town or driving you know, if you're going north every year, those southern teams are doing, you know, upwards of a day's driving or vice versa. So rotating that around is, you know, really important for sports to consider. Costs sometimes of infrastructure, although there are so many providers in regional New South Wales, and that's probably one of the misconceptions that, you know, it may be more expensive to run an event. It might actually not be more expensive to run an event by the time you've got that local support and you've used the local contacts. But I think when people sometimes have their existing supplier arrangements in place and they're thinking about those logistics, that can be a bit of a challenge to get through. Aside from that, I, I think there's far more benefits and there are challenges of hosting events in regional New South Wales. And I know we're going to talk about that shortly, but yeah, they probably be my two main challenges, that travel and getting there. But, you know, once you get there, if it's a week-long event and things like that, it's very easy to deliver. And, you know, it's great for the local economy. You're filling hotels and you're filling restaurants and those sorts of things. So that's really positive in the end. That's what we like to hear. We'll, we'll use you as the poster boy <laughs> for holding <laughs> events regionally. So can you talk about, and maybe this is going back more to your destination New South Wales days, but the importance for regional event organisers to ensure that their delegates are making the most of the complete destination experience when they're you know in a regional area for an event or festival? Yeah, absolutely. I think often with events... People can just come, they can spend time in the hotel room and go to the sports ground or go to the event venue, wherever that is, and they don't really get out and see town. I think that, you know, people go away from that and that event could have been held anywhere. It wouldn't have made a difference. And they go, yeah, you know, it was a great event. Didn't see anything else. I think it's really important for event organisers to encourage people to get out and see or arrive a few days early. And there's ways you can do that if you can try and bring some of your community culture and businesses and some of that focus to your event venue in the first place. If people are on a really tight schedule and they're not able to get out, how do you bring that to them so that they want to come back? I think, you know, Port Macquarie Ironman is a really good example of that, that people often come in, they train, you know, they sleep in the hotel, they go up, you know, they compete on the Monday and then they go home. But there's some really good stories now 
that people actually are going back for holidays in the middle of the year when they're not competing because they've heard good stories from you know other club members and people that are training. So that's just one example of sharing that messaging. I think it's really important to pre-promote what activities are available and also work with your local businesses. So what sort of offers or what value add can your businesses give to people that are in town for the event? So you know that might not be devaluing your product, but it's winning you more business than you may necessarily have got. So you know it might be. It could be a discount, it could be a buy one, get one free, but it could be just adding something a bit special or, you know, doing a themed menu or, you know, special meals for teams in the sporting context so that, you know, teams can come in, they don't have to worry about catering, they know they can go to the same restaurant and get those sorts of meals. I think working with your local media and getting them on board early is the key as well. If the media aren't selling your events, then, you know, it's hard to get that public support for it as well. So if you can get your media behind you, and whether that's through a formal partnership with the events organiser or as a council, you know, leveraging those existing partnerships you have, that's really important. And, yeah, I think they're probably the main things. And, and then getting your local community in terms of volunteering support. So if you're a local association in a sporting context running an event and you don't have the resources, how do you then get other community groups to help? And I know you had Vicky on from the Denny Newmaster a few weeks ago, and, you know, that's an incredible example of, how many sporting clubs get involved in a music event or rotary clubs and things like that. There's so many great volunteer organisations out there that want to help and want to be involved in their local community. So if you can harness that enthusiasm and have them as advocates for your event, as well as being volunteers, that's a really good positive. And it's going to show the event organisers that are coming to town that you are keen and you do want it. And you're going to make their lives easy for them because they've got that expertise in town already. Absolutely. And your point about the media is really important. Likewise, what you've mentioned at the top of the show about turning up in a regional destination and people knowing why you're there, why you're there. So I think that's just makes your visitor experience so much better because you already feel valued. People know what's going on. I think that's really important. Likewise, yeah, the use of those service clubs or community organizations. You know, I know for a couple of events we've done, we've incorporated the CWA into the catering aspect. Now, no one can turn down a CWA scone at the best of times. So, you know, to bring them on board as well, and they get just as much out of it, you know, as the delegates, I think. So there's so many, you know, positives to be had had there. I always have to go running when I come to your conference for Linda because I always get on the CWA cake. So I have to make sure I get out for a quick run at some point over the week. We want to make sure you're well fed. Okay, so let's pretend that you're the mayor or general manager of a regional town called Philtown. How would you pitch to a sporting body to hold their event in your town? That's a very good question. I think for me, I would want to talk to the sport first to see what they're trying to achieve. It's all well and good to say they're going to come and deliver an event. But what do they really want to get out of? Is it, you know, is event experience the biggest thing for them? Is the standard of facilities the biggest thing for them? Are they hoping to attract great media coverage or, you know, uh, community attendance and that sort of thing? So I think understanding what their needs are first and foremost is really important. Then I know I think I'm a big fan of having longer term agreements and having, you know, that long term relationship. I think a three year agreement is really good because in year one you're always perfecting, you know or starting to tweak and thinking about, you know, how does this event run in the first instance? Year two, you're then tweaking and adjusting things to make it better and run smoothly. And by year three, you're sort of firing it. And then that leads you on to hopefully future years of agreement. So I think being upfront around that long-term commitment and investment with uh, sporting organisations is really important. I think knowing 
where in the long term also, and this probably isn't in the bidding phase, but I think knowing in the long term where where that relationship has to take a natural deviation or in some cases in. So, you know, do you need to change it up if you've been doing the same event for six years? What other event properties do they have? You know, it's all well and good to have that same event for six years, but is the community tired of it? Are the people tired of going there and it's actually turning into a negative effect? So being really open and honest about that. And I think looking at infrastructure and legacy in terms of community infrastructure. So if it's a big event that comes to town that you need a certain standard of facilities for, do you need those facilities all year round or can they be used for other events? If they can, great, then it probably is worthwhile looking at how you can invest in that and being upfront about that and planning that in as part of your bid or pitch process. Or what are you going to leave for the community? So if it's touch football, for example, you know, what's the legacy to the local touch football community or the local cricket community? Once the events come and gone, are they getting new cricket nets out of it? Are they getting, you know, new fields or change rooms which have been used for the tournament but then the club has for storage or can generate revenue if it's a new canteen block or some sort of amenity like that? So I think that's important to talk about as well. I think given COVID, the financial situation for sporting organisations is has been really tough and, and in some cases dire. But it's been quite similar for councils. You know, councils have been hit really hard and have been doing their best in some cases to look at labor fees and things. So I think the whole sponsorship market of events and that government relationship may shift a fair way because the money that's been out there previously may not be there anymore. So it's more around those strategic partnerships and long-term relationships that are really going to drive value as we get through this recovery phase of COVID and moving into next year where we still don't know what it looks like. Well, look... Mayor of Philtown will give you the sporting event you're bidding for. That was great. Thank you. A lot of yeah nuggets in there, so thank you. And you look, you've touched on it throughout this, but I guess with 2020 being the year with the um, pandemic, it's been really hard. And as you just mentioned, for sporting organisations, councils, in addition to everyone else, obviously. And, you know, personally speaking, I can say that to see my kids' sporting clubs get off the ground and to be able to have, you know, like an Oz kick, a soccer a touch, a cricket competition is absolutely mind-blowing because, you know, probably in April nothing was happening at all and then all of a sudden to be able to still play these sports this year, my kids were extremely happy and, you know, it was great that they could resume some form of normality that they know. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that's probably been the toughest part of my role at the Office of Sport and I took over the marketing and communications function I think week one of the pandemic so it's been a lot of crisis communications and and that's been really tough to see I think we've all got you know professional and personal relationships in the sector and to see you know people being stood down because competitions aren't running and just that uncertainty of when it was going to come back has been really hard to watch I really do feel for people out there that have been stood down or have lost work I think the first few months People were just screaming for a timeline and it was just something that no one could really give. And I think we even see now that we got that situation with Victoria where it looks like everything was looking really good and then the Victoria outbreak occurred again in late June. We were back at sport by that or going back into sport that weekend. I think that's been really tough, the uncertainty and the burden that's placed on volunteers in terms of having to reschedule or think about additional considerations. But at the end of the day, I think health have taken a really pragmatic approach in trying to have a level of normality and also recognising the benefit that sport and recreation has in local communities. And so whilst we haven't been able to have, in many cases, inter-regions or state or national competitions 
this year, just the fact that people could get back on their local park and, you know, interact with each other, socially distance, but people could go out and spend time in their local community and watch the kids play sport has been really important. And, and for those kids having, you know, a pathway and an outlet when it's been a year that isn't normal to, you know, go out and play with their friends and be involved and get to the end of the season. I'm, I'm surprised we've got as many weeks in as we did because there are certain periods of time where I didn't think personally it looked like that at all. And I thought, you know, we may go back to stopping and we just haven't. So that, that's been really, really good to see. I think it has been tough for the state sporting organisations, especially around the lack of inter-region competition. I know that's a really important pathway for them. And it's really important for them to keep those relationships with councils and things as well because they have events there every year and they haven't been able to do that this year. And having the uncertainty going into next year as to what that looks like is still really hard for them. It's really hard to plan what you're going to do in January, let alone you know June or the second half of the year next year because we just don't know. So, yeah, I think it's been really tough. And beyond the sporting context, you know, having so many friends that I know in events that have done it so tough and just had their work load completely wiped, it's been really tough to see and not having any certainty around that. It's been really sad and you know you hear some of the stories around cancelling iconic events like the Danny Newtmaster and those sorts of things and that must have been such a tough decision the right decision ultimately but I'm really confident that the public will go back and support these events and I think we saw that after the bushfires for the south coast that people wanted to go there you know COVID could in the way again but people were really keen to get back support those local communities and support those events so hopefully that's the shining light that it will shine a spotlight on some of those events that are coming up in future years when they are back. Absolutely. And I think they'll be really well supported. I think people are busting out to get to real life events. And so fingers crossed 2021, you know, seems a lot more positivity on that front and for everyone who has been affected, of course. Now, before we get into the behind the scenes questions, is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Um. No, I think it's just really good. I'm really enjoying the Eventualities podcast, to be honest. It's not being able to come and see the regional events conference and catch up with everyone, but hearing the stories has been really good. So I think the other thing that's come out of COVID is it's great that people are networking. There's some really good social media networks and people talking to each other in the industry, sharing and such, sharing the pain points as well. I think mental health has been so important during Simon. You know, having people to reach out to and discuss or even just sending a text message to someone to say, hey, how are you going? I know it's really hard. There may not be anything you can do, but I feel like that's been really good in terms of people supporting each other within the sector. So, yeah, it's really positive and, yeah, fingers crossed, as you said, looking forward to a very different 2021. Absolutely. Well said. Okay, so these are our final wrap-up questions. What was the last event you went to? Uh, the last event I went to was the T20 World Cup Women's Final in Melbourne at the MCG. So pretty good one to finish on. Amazing. <laughs> the last major event that we had, Katie Perry was amazing. And I think that was a really tough one. The show didn't look like they were going to make the final at about 3 o'clock on the semi-final afternoon. I was standing in a corridor at the SCG on the phone of my wife to say, we've done all this work and we're not ever going to get to see cricket. And then you go from that to a few days later, you know, seeing Australia just absolutely dominate in front of a massive crowd and really put that tournament on the map was fantastic. So good finish to the pre-COVID era. Absolutely. And it's weird to think that was actually this year, isn't it? Like it feels like a long time ago. Yeah. But I think that event, did they just pick up an award at the Australian Event Awards this week? 
Yeah, so that one's for when we went to the year and Australian event of the year. So, again, that was supposed to have the men's T20 World Cup. It's pretty much run now. I've got calendar invites popping up for match days that we would have been working at. So I know that's been a really tough year for that local organising committee because they've had to stand down staff with the tournament not being until 2022. So great to finish or have that high earlier in the year. Absolutely. Okay, what's your favourite event that you've been to? Oh, gosh, can't put me on the spot. Favourite event, I think, would be... It's not a regional event, but I would say the start of the Sydney to Hobart for me. I think that's one that as a child I've grown up and I've you know been lucky to go out on the water with family. And it's just crazy. It's like absolute organised chaos on the water with hundred boats going in the same direction down the side. I really love that. That's probably, you know, and a, and a personal one for me. I think from a regional event point of view, probably one of the favourite events I went to was the Denny Ute Muster. It's just one of those iconic events it's so hard to explain as to what it is but yeah it's just it was really cool to go I went near the cold chisel was there it was a cracking weekend I remember driving sort of chasing the sunset and pulled over and got a couple of photos it was just this iconic really beautiful drive from the airport out there so yeah that was probably a favorite for me they're great choices. I haven't done the Sydney to Hobart start, so I'll have to add that to my list. And we should say last year, 2019, wasn't it? You did a massive overseas holiday incorporating a huge number of sporting events. Yeah, I um, was very lucky it wasn't this year, but I've got a very understanding wife and we had, well, I had 10 weeks in Europe. She had six weeks. So I had two at the start where I started with the FIFA Women's World Cup, went to the start of the Tour de France in Brussels. And then we did a bit of e-biking around Croatia and then went to Sail GP in the UK and finished up with day one and two at Lords at the Ashes. So a few bucket list items definitely ticked off there for me. Yeah, it was really fantastic. I really enjoyed it. So definitely wouldn't have happened this year. But yeah, that was great. And, you know, to see the Women's World Cup and the excitement over there in France coming back, just maybe even more motivated to be involved in the beer. And, you know, we're so glad that we've won it now. So I think we can take that tournament to the next level because, it's only getting better and better for the Women's World Cup. Oh, fantastic. And I think, yeah, some very envious people out there hearing about your trip last year. <laughs> Which event is on your bucket list? Oh, that's a good question. Because you've been to them all, Phil. <laughs> yeah, I went to a fair few of them. I think I'd like to go to Wimbledon. I think I missed out. I, I probably could have got it in there at risk of divorce because I would have been ducking out of our Croatia portion of the trip. And I remember standing on the docks watching that super day where you had the final Wimbledon and the final World Cup. So, yeah, I think that would be really, really cool. It's just, you know, one of those revered events, sporting events in the calendar. Yes, and I have actually been to that one. I slept out overnight to get tickets, which was worth it. But, yes, I, you'd love it. You'd love it. You'll get there. Glastonbury or the Super Bowl? Uh, probably have to get Super Bowl on that one. Yep, it's tough, isn't it? Okay, and last one, your favourite thing about the festivals and events industry? Uh, the people. I think I've made so many wonderful friends, some of them over pubs, which is great when you go to spend time with them. But I think, yeah, it's just been really good to get to know people and you run into people along the way. I think my career started back in basketball, as I said, as a referee, and I'm now working with people on a FIFA Women's World, a FIBA Basketball Women's World Cup in 2022 with someone I did an internship and work experience with, you know, back 15, 20 years ago. So that's been incredible. 
And I think it is a supportive and genuine and sharing industry, which you don't often get. I think people are prepared to share what their struggles are and challenges are for the benefit of the industry. And that's been no more prevalent than at the moment with people talking about, well, how do I make the transition to live events where they've never done them before and people are just willing to help out or I'm looking for someone, you know, we know that people are looking for work, people sharing resources. That's been really positive. So, yeah, that's been really good. And I think it's amplified even more in regional communities, you know, People seem to talk to each other so much from across north to south, east to west, across New South Wales, in my experience, and that you know has only filtered out more broadly across the country. Oh, wonderful. All right. I always get goosebumps when people give the answer to that question, but absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And yes, we look forward to catching up in real life soon, hopefully. And if people are interested in getting in touch with Phil, we'll put some contact details in the show notes. He's a good man to know. So thanks so much, Phil. And yeah, best of luck with your job ahead, because I think it's going to be a crazy couple of months for you. Yeah, thanks, Linda. Great to catch up and I look forward to hearing all the new podcasts coming out soon. Thanks, Phil. Thank you for listening to the Eventualities podcast. Subscribe for future episodes and the best way you can support us is by leaving a review which helps others find the podcast.